0: So, for me, the first, at the first glance, you should be in love with the watch, like a car, and then comes the engine. But of course, after, you are, after that, you have different kinds of brands. Some people are looking for movement first, and then the shape of the cane. But for me, first is design, but the movement and the quality of the movement should be perfectly aligned with the quality and the uh, beautifulness of, uh, of the design also
1: and welcome to another special edition of a blog to watch weekly this week we are producing an episode with the help of the good folks at arnold and son and at angelus so david why don't you introduce our guest
2: exactly we are speaking with bertrand saveri who is the um... CEO of both brands, so Angelus and Honored and Son. And, you know, if you're into watches, I'm sure you're familiar with these two names. They're both high end, or I should say, ultra high end brands, you know, with prices starting at close to 30K for most Angulus and Ireland and pieces and go into the stratosphere with you know, beautiful complications, tourbillons, skeletonized pieces, Arnold and Sun's whimsical, high artistry, you know, limited editions and so on and so forth. And I should say they are also part of La Peré, which is a fittingly high-end manufacturer in Switzerland who manufactures all these beautiful movements that go into Angulus and Arnold and Sun. Angulus and Ireland and Sun are both historic brands, but with very, very different paths and histories. So, for one person and one team say, to uh, manage these two different brands is a, is a challenge unto its own and a unique one at that. So, it's a very exciting discussion. I've had the chance to speak with Bertrand during Geneva Watch Days where we were supposed to record this discussion, but we couldn't for technical reasons. So, we followed up. And yeah, please enjoy this uh, look into these two very unique, very high-end brands.
1: Yes, it was interesting for me to speak to him because it's two brands I'm not entirely familiar with. I've seen models of both of them, but certainly it was interesting to hear from him from the story of how these two brands that are both ultra high-end, as you say, but both very, very different in terms of their kind of output and just how that all balances together as to who does what and how it all ties in so yeah i think there's a particularly interesting episode i think you will learn some things that you didn't know before about both of these brands and just about how the industry in general works so without further ado we will hand over to our show enjoy Greetings and welcome to another special edition of A Blog to Watch Weekly. This week we have a different special guest in this series. This was originally recorded at Geneva Watch Days, but David was left alone basically. <laughs> I wasn't holding his hand, so we decided we should actually do it collectively and get the guest back on and do it remotely over the internet, where we can get all the nice audio stuff and get a really good interview with our guests. So, David, why don't you introduce our special guest for this week?
2: Absolutely. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. Today, we have a special guest from Angulus and Arnold & Son, the CEO of both brands, Bertrand Savary. So, Bertrand, thank you so much for joining us.
1: It's a pleasure. Bertrand, where are you speaking? speaking to us from today i'm speaking from geneva that was really a stupid question really i'm speaking to somebody in the swiss watch industry i asked them where they are obviously they're in geneva so there you go are you in your office are you at home are you still in any form of lockdown mode or has everything returned to normal and you're in the office slaving away nine to five monday to friday no
0: i'm in geneva office i just came back yesterday from grand prix de l'horlogerie in india
1: Oh, so this is the touring exhibition for GPHG. Exactly.
0: And you have one
1: watch, I think, in that? We have
0: two watches. We have the Luna Magna and the Perpetual Ladies. So are you hopeful of a victory? I mean, uh, why not? I mean, we're always expecting uh, for goods. Good stuff. And how was India? It was amazing. I was really surprised by the quality of the client coming and visiting uh, the exhibition. They know a lot about watches.
1: Was it your first time you've been to
0: India? It was the first time, yes. Um, I was supposed to go two years ago it has been cancelled because of the covid and this uh-huh. summer has been cancelled because it was close to 48 uh, degrees celsius wow. okay yikes
1: yeah i'm sitting in scotland so 48 degrees celsius is is kind of the sort of temperatures you set in our oven exactly <laughs> not the kind of not the kind of temperature you're used to outside in the weather same here in geneva
2: back in uh, geneva is where we saw a number of novelties following those uh debuting at watches and wonders Geneva Geneva seems to be a place where you go to once again after Basel has basically folded to look at spectacular watches and of course we were not disappointed uh Rick you must be because you've missed most of these I'm not sure if you saw Angelus and and honor and son for those brief two days when you were with us in uh in Geneva for Geneva watches
1: I saw some angelus and mm-hmm. i know one of the retailers in the UK so yeah big fan of Angelus. so looking forward to that as part of our Chat today.
2: That's awesome. So, Bertrand, why don't you just introduce our audience to how these brands are related? Uh, you know, what's the connection with La Jouperie and and uh, and your role at at these companies? So, Manufacture
0: La Joupere is owned um, by Citizen, as well as Angelus and Arnold and Son. The office of the two brands are also in the same building as Manufacture La Joupere. So, Manufacture La Joupere basically is developing. And assembling the movement and the watches for us, then we're one under one roof, and we're one same company.
2: And so, do you have two separate teams for these different brands, or is it more efficient to have like one design team handle both brands and both uh, lines of movements and so forth? We
0: have one teams for for the two brands, and I think that it makes it very interesting also for the people to work. Hmm. for for us because uh, you are not only responsible for one brand but for two brands and you can work in the morning on Angeles and in the afternoon on on Arnold and Hmm. certainly also for the design we have two young designers
2: it's really really challenging and interesting sounds like a nice day at work when you get to work on Angelus watches in the morning and Arnold and Sun in the afternoon I could get used to that (laughs) I think it's not bad (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, But the two brands are very different. Uh, It's clear. Anyone who's ever seen one, uh, you know, it takes just uh, a quick glance at either of those brands and and you immediately understand that, you know, they have a different aesthetics, a different DNA. And, you know, if you know a little bit about watches and these names, you will also know that they have a different uh, history. So how do you separate these two, you know, given that you have the same one team? So, yeah,
0: Uh, Arnold & Son, it's it's linked with um, a lot with the history with John Arnold, with the marine, with Astronomia. and Angeles—it's a company which were based in Le Locke, producing movement for third parties, but also being very well known for five minutes repeater for the chrono-dato at the time. And today, it's completely—I mean, you're right—it's completely two different universes. So one is more sporty, boldy, and, Morris, and, and Arnold, it's more is and Arnold—it's more linked with the marine, Astronomia, traveling also Arnold & Son is uh, the design and the shape of the movement construction, I would say.
2: Right. I just looked it up. And the first time that we ever wrote about an Arnold & Son watch on a block to watch was on December 31st in 2011. So almost 11 years ago. And in that time, Arnold & Son has really wired itself into the consciousness of us watch enthusiasts by being a super technical brand. And what I really appreciate about it is that you know 2011 was long before any of the brands jumped on this vintage bandwagon that oh if you want to do something and you you have an extensive history why don't you just open up your archives and do exactly what you were doing 50 or 100 years ago by contrast Auden and son to me and even Angelus also looks like brands that they create products today asking the question what would the founders of these brands or people who have made such a such a huge impression in their past would make today. Right. So with, with today's manufacturing technologies and design technology and all that. So maybe on the sun in a way is old school, but at the same time, it's also very, very technical in ways that, you know, we couldn't imagine in the, you know, 1800s.
0: You're right. Uh, what we're trying to do is to pay tribute to John Arnold watchmaking. So we are trying to put ourselves in Arnold's shoes and say what he will produce today. And as mentioned previously, he was deeply linked with the marine, world time, chronometry, astronomy, uh, because he was equipping all the British marine with the marine chronometer. So what we try to do today is is to develop some products, but
2: always keeping in mind and to have a link with the past and the history of the brand. So do you have some special archives, for example, for, for Arnold and Son, or how how is it that you, I should ask, how is it that you research the history and historical pieces of Arnold and Son?
0: So in terms of archive, unfortunately, when Citizen purchased the brand, the archive were very poor. The things that we have today, it's uh, historical books, whereas the watches, which has been produced by John Arnold, by his Son, Pictures also, for example, of, of the watch that uh, did to pay homage to John Arnold. And also, wow. well, what we're doing, it's uh, actually, we hire a um, historian, watchmaking historian, to make some research mm. in uh, most of the European museum and to have very good quality pictures and uh, to, to be able, so we will be able to edit this book, I think, next year. For example, you have beautiful Arnold and Son watch us in Batek Museum in Geneva, and hmm. uh, also in La chaux de in, in London. So we are trying now to rebuild these archives, but the way that we
2: will proceed is to uh, to have a book. That's a very classy way of doing that. So do you have... Any personal favorites that were discovered by this historian?
0: I mean, something which was quite interesting is uh, the relationship that he had with uh, with Breguet at the time, mm-hmm. and it seems that uh, John Arnold was supplying the rubies to to Breguet because um, he was not able to to got them in France, so he was sending them this ruby by by letter. So, and they have some some writing explaining that the way that we're doing and he got he was able to approach also the some museum with that which have the original letters the the book is going to be very interesting in my opinion
2: that's fantastic do you you know what what they call a company that supplies watchmakers like Cheshire, for example, they like to call themselves the, the watchmakers watchmaker <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that is that is a cool reputation to have for sure.
1: I'm curious about how you decide which brand does what. So I'm curious as to kind of the sequence of events that happens when someone has a good idea for a complication or a design. Are all of the movements done centrally by Le Jusperet for both brands? Or is there like a stage process? Le Joux produces a kind of base calibre of some sort, which then watchmakers dedicated to Arnold & Son or Angelus add to? Or is everything pushed back to Le Jusperet as the as the core manufacturer of the movements, while Arnold and & Son and Angelus... Or if you like, responsible for the cases, the packaging, the straps, etc. Explain to me how the three things kind of work together, and then who gets to decide who does what? Is it yourself? Do you say, well, we've got this great idea for a chronograph. Well, should we let Angelus do it, or should we let our Son do it? Talk to me, it's just it just sounds like there must be some really fascinating meetings and, and fascinating things that get written on the back of envelopes that maybe don't see the light of day or maybe even some watches that chop and change between is this an arnold son or is this an angelus
0: what we have it's we have a five years plan in terms of products and movement development for both brands which are completely separated and then what we're doing what we're doing with the technical office of manufacturer L'Operin, and they are working also for the brand so uh, we see what can be developed in a certain period of time, and uh, then we we are validating. So the the five years plan. So we already know which movement is going out 2023, 24, and 25 for both brands. We start, let's say, a relaunch. Maybe it's word a little bit too strong. But uh, when I took over in 2000, beginning of 2020, we had a new strategy in terms of product we decided to put this plan together with david which is a end of product. and today we are following that Uh, we bring uh, the new luna magna for example and uh, the new tourbillon ultra scene uh, during watching wonders so everything was planned since the beginning after that basically we spent we were quite lucky because i enter uh, the company the first of march 10 days later it was COVID. so People, you, you can maybe ask Crazy. why it was we were lucky. We were basically <laughs> lucky because we were six months to spend on a clear product uh-huh. marketing yeah. and movement development plan that normally you are just yeah. don't have time to put everything in place. But we, we got six months to really think what should be the brand, what should be Angelus, what should be Arnold, and where we should go. And we defined a strategy and a vision for the brand.
1: Yeah, certainly it's going to be a fairly unique circumstances that allow you to, as you say, actually have the time as a new CEO of these brands to actually sit down and say, right, let's come up with a proper plan. The world happens to have stopped for a good few months, so let's use that time productively to come up with a proper separation a proper plan as to where we're going forward so you said you already know what's happening 2023 and 2024 these would have been watches that have been planned since you've come in or are you still you know is the length of time it takes to bring something to market mean that there are still things working their way through that were maybe engaged with three, four, even five
0: years ago? So we have two kinds of projects for 2023 and 2024. One is a completely new line, a new movement for, um, for Arnold. And some other projects, for example, will be uh, a, new, a new case, a new movement finishing. I mean, some are adaptation or fine tuning of existing movement or movement which has been used in the past for Arnold. but. As I mentioned, next year we're also coming with a new line, but it will not be on the market before um, September next year. Because, as you know, uh, when you start to develop a movement, you need to make first prototype and then you need to, to try and work this prototype for a few months before putting them on the market. I
1: mean, I, I should just say now that as a Scotsman that works on a farm, then I'm always willing to try out prototypes. Because if it can survive my lifestyle, <laughs> it will survive any. I'm not sure that a Luna Magna moon phase is... In tractor drivers <laughs> In Platinum is what tractor drivers normally wear. But uh, I'm I'm willing to take my Citizen Ray Mears and replace it with an Angelus or Son. So you should feel free to send across <laughs> any any prototypes. If you want something tested to destruction, I'm your
0: guy. No, maybe it's better to use a Chrono Angelus in Zia. The- in this case, it's it's car, it's carbon and titanium, so it's stronger.
1: Listen, I am perfectly happy to take the step down to an Angelus. <laughs> that would be no problem at all. <laughs> if you want to send me the Angelus, I have no issue with that whatsoever. I will take off what I normally wear, and this is actually the tie-in to Angelus. So normally for farm wear, believe it or not, it would be a Panerai Luminor. And I know that the nine o'clock sub traces its roots back into the days of Angelus and the Italian Navy. Really? Yeah, so Angelus supplied, if I remember correctly, movements to the Italian Navy, and that resulted in the running seconds being at 9 o'clock, and that's just continued as a thing for Panerai ever since. I don't know how well into the the deep history, as it no doubt would be considered, of Angelus. (laughs) But that's that's my tie-in as to why I think I deserve an upgrade from my Panerai to an Angelus, uh, and I think you should send me send me one immediately.
2: You are an absolute hero, Rick. Not not the one that we need, but the one that we deserve. <laughs>
1: I, I, I'm willing to make the sacrifice.
2: Great. <laughs> Speaking of Angelus, for real, I remember you know that this brand transformed, and when it relaunched a number of years ago, everyone, myself included, was. Maybe I'm projecting, but I think, you know, people were expecting Angelus to be a return to those vintage chronographs and all that. And it took a long time for us, even in our articles, to explain the brand's message and positioning to our audience and and, and even for us to understand that, no, this is not a regular relaunch of a brand, but rather uh, somehow, you know, the brand teleporting into the 21st century. And it even took a while for you to produce your first chronograph, I believe. And this year saw a number of new ones as well. So would you care to, to elaborate on those a little bit, Patrick?
0: No, you're right. I mean, the Angelus collector's community was expecting a relaunch with vintage pieces. But at the time, the team who was in charge of the, of the brand. They decided to go by a different path. And what they were doing, in my opinion, it was like a laboratory of ideas. And they were cre- creating this U10, which was like an OVNI at this time like a big TV screen. It was something uncommon. And then they came with some uh, tourbillon skeleton, uh, very light, very well positioned. And it was a few years after maybe, or in the same time as Richard Mille, but with very, very entry price. I mean, you were finding some tourbillon less than 30,000 Swiss yes. franc. And when I took over and we were also looking and to connect with with the, with the history of the brand and for us what came into our mind it was the chronodate chronodato, mm-hmm. who was an icon of the year between 40 and 50s and just it was an amazing watch but also we decided to not copy one to one what was done in the past so we came with an evolution of this icon which is chronodato and we did, we took time to design it to come with this neo-retro design right so we are not completely disconnected from what has been done since the relaunch mm-hmm. approximately 10 years ago and we kept all the dna from 80s and 50s and certainly we were not that wrong because it's today it's a huge success i mean mm-hmm. Uh, we want, we we launched it during Watch It Wonders. It was sold out the first day. Wow. And now we came uh, with the second uh, version, uh, different dyes, uh, colors during Geneva Watch Days. Mm-hmm. And we are sold out until uh, April 2023 because Incredible. we have limited production.
2: What's the production? It's like 25 pieces, right?
0: Mm, so uh, we launched... Three times 25 pieces at & Wonders, mm-hmm. but now the production until the end of March 2023 is going to be uh, 200 to 250 pieces.
2: Wow, that's still extremely limited to produce that many pieces in virtually like your know, seven, eight months. It is limited, but
0: uh, if you consider that for the year, it's going to be 300 chronos.
2: Mm-hmm. That's true it's a big success for you but it's a, it's, a, it's a strongly limited selection by you know when you compare it to other brands Oh I agree but we will increase it next year also mm-hmm. that's excellent And
0: also something that I can mention that uh, we will bring with, with a little surprise I think by March 2023 which is going to make happy
2: the Old Angeles collectors wow that's something to look forward to any hints more specific that you can give uh, for people to look forward to
0: i mean something more contemporary something mm-hmm. which in smaller diameter less sporty so we will come back with something uh, very very interesting and also in in terms of movement it's going to be uh in my opinion something
2: very very successful wow that's great well we are certainly looking forward to those
0: because i associate
1: angeles with watches that ring and I, i'm seeing in the market a number of brands that are starting to get back into the idea not necessarily of minute repeaters but hour repeaters and you know watches with alarms on them any chance that something new might be featuring and an alarm or or something that goes ding i
0: mean not for 2023 and uh, not planned in the next uh, three four years in my opinion I mean, striking and minute repeaters. It's a particular clientele, and in terms of development, also it's a huge amount of time. It's a huge amount of money, and in my opinion, Angelus actually or clients are not looking directly for uh, for these kind of pieces. But it can be a project for the next eight or ten years.
2: That's totally understandable. Given, uh, you know, if you if you look at the history of, of Chiming watches and, and, you know, how many of those brands and, and collections have survived and are available still. I'm thinking of the Vulcan Cricket, for example. They are ex- extremely few and far between. So, um, somehow the appeal has died down or rather has focused on extremely high-end six-figure priced watches uh, that are that take a totally different type of manufacturing and, and approach all, all on its own. So, if we look at what Angelus does these days, I, you know, if I think about it, I see in front of me some very high-end movements that look, you know, bespoke. They have everything that La Shue does. But I was really surprised also by the Chronodates case construction. And over the last five, maybe ten years, What I saw in in watchmaking was a huge, huge development in in how cases are produced. Even 10 years ago, I remember going to case manufacturers and they were telling me that, oh, okay, now we're making cases as precisely as we make movements to, to maybe like five micron tolerances, which is extremely small. And that is because the cases are milled and machined in a way and now can be polished and finished in a way that these tolerances remain. And this, in turn, has given way to... How do you say um, to these more complex cases that are modular? And I feel like the Chronodate has one of those as well. Is that right, Bertrand?
0: Yes, you're you're right. I mean, the designer they spend honestly, I think, eight months on this um, on this case because we were not never wow. satisfied with with the rendering, with the touching, with the feeling. We had a few times some prototypes, and today I can say that the image are not paying tribute to the watch. When you got the watch in your hands, mm-hmm. you directly feel the luxury. And all details have been there. It's really smooth also. And all the feeling, the touching feeling, it's really important, in in my opinion, when you are taking a watch in your hand. And also when you are engaging the chronograph, it's a vertical clutch uh, engagement, and it's really, really smooth. So honestly, when when you have it in your hands, I think 50% of of the job is done, and the Mm. client is convinced by himself by just having the business in their hands.
2: Mm. That's right. I remember us having this discussion in Geneva when I was there, uh, taking pictures of these pieces for a blog to watch so that we have hands-on coverage. And I and I, I think we had the same discussion actually that, yeah, that the struggle for a brand that has as you know a, that is as small and as compact as Angeles and on the sun is to get these pieces into the hands of people. You know, and and COVID is a big problem because people were not going to brick and mortar source as much, and that has reshuffled the market in a way, but. Yeah, once you are there in a position and you see these pieces, you realize how they differ, especially your clientele, I think, knows watches. I don't think that people, you know, many people buy their first twenty or $30,000 watches in Angeles, right? Am I right in saying that? You're completely right. So that means that you know this this kind of clientele has had a number of big brand watches and they know what those feel like. Maybe they have had a number of others from your segment and Once you have this sort of exposure to watches, you start to develop a taste and a feel to you know oh sure you know these two watches they are both let's say twenty five thousand 000 ranks or dollars and stuff but they are t- they can be made as though they were from completely different segments of the market in terms of complexity and refinement so yeah the work is very much a product focused work that you are doing and for people to understand that it, we have to have these discussions that we have to have these hands-on articles because that's how we can best convey the values and, and all the effort that that you guys are putting into these watches thank you
1: I am a big fan of the chronodate, Angelus, particularly because, and this is a pet peeve that I have of chronographs, mm. that if you're going to have a chronograph that has pointer subdials on it and you want to put a date on it, then put a pointer date on it as well so that everything is pointers. Don't ruin it by putting a date window on it. So congratulations to whoever in the design team <laughs> decided not to go with a date window, but with a pointer date. It just, it brings that watch out as something different in the segment of chronographs, of sports chronographs. Rick, so yeah, big fan thank of Thank you. It.
2: Are you telling me that you are you're disappointed by the 99% of other chronographs in the market? <laughs> yes, I have to
1: put up with them. But it also really bothers me. So, for example, you get like your perpetual calendars, yeah. whereby they will put everything as windows mm-hmm. and then they'll ruin it by putting the date as a pointer. You know, if you're going to use really? windows, use windows for everything. If you're going to use pointers <laughs> for your subtitles, use pointers from it. It's quite straightforward, really. And so that's why I particularly like the Angelus, because somebody rightly decided, in my opinion, let's put a pointer date on this and not a date window. So, yeah, I really like it. And that's just me begging for one of these as well. Anyway, (laughs) so tell me, Bertrand, a lot of people listening to this will generally just think that people that run watch brands simply have well they actually have the second best job in the world because clearly the best job in the world is being a journalist (laughs) in watch media but as the person who has the second best job in the watch world what is it that you like the most about being the ceo of something like angelus and arnold and son is there a particular part of your work that you enjoy more than other? is it the the real detail you get into or is it the people is it the the bringing of something from a bit of paper to life what's the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning
0: i mean for me a few parts are really interesting and first the team is really important so what what it's cool in the job is to be able to brainstorm together with a designer with a product development and and then to see the results when we're seeing the first prototype it's like a new baby coming in the family so that's really cool and then also something which is In my opinion, something very nice to see is when we're having dinner or I was in New Delhi, I just told you, and I met four clients wearing an Arnold & Son watch. So for me, it was quite amazing to to meet them because it's not only about producing, it's it's about convincing clients to buy it and to purchase it. So it was uh, it was interesting to see them and to discuss with them why they decided to purchase an Arnold and some.
2: And so what did they say?
0: So they I mean they were I mean they committed to the brand because the design was something that they never seen before. I met two clients wearing a time pyramid that you have no other product like that in, in if you compare it to competitors and two clients were wearing also a Chronometer 36 the Turbium, and for them they were fascinating by the movements by all details and they were thinking and they were right that it was quite unique in terms of design and in the watch industry today
1: yeah you ain't going to see too many time pyramids in the wild so yeah i imagine actually meeting folk that have gone through the experience of deciding that this is the watch for them is actually quite fascinating especially as, as david has touched on it's likely to be their first arnold and son but it's certainly not going to be their first watch so the fact that someone who collects clearly watches has decided to add one of these to the collection must be quite satisfying. What, then, is the thing that you dislike? Like, what's actually the bit of the process? You know, is it getting all the tooling ready or signing the paperwork? Or, get you know, what's the bit that's like, oh, I can't believe it's that time of the month in order that I have to do this part of the job? Because it's not all, unlike the world of watch journalism, which is clearly all rose petals and salve, it's obviously not that within the watch manufacturers what's a bit that you
0: dislike for me it's when we're not keeping the delivery time you know watch industry is always late because the suppliers of the straps because of the end supplier because of the factory so we always have a lot of reason to be late and to disappoint a client at the end of the month is not the best part of the job
1: and are you yourself actually, what? I, mean, I don't know what your own background is, do you have experience in actual watchmaking or are you an experienced
0: executive? What's your background? How did you end up where you are? So I'm, I'm an engineer by education and then I've done an MBA, but my first job was at the customer service station. So we were uh, re-engineering some service center all around the world. So... I'm not a watchmaker, but I'm able to dismantle and assemble a basic movement and and a watch also.
1: But listen, I can I can disassemble a watch movement no problem at all. That disassembly is not the issue. <laughs> it's the assembly that's the problematic yeah. part.
2: <laughs> For most people, yeah.
1: For most people, yeah. Disassembly, not a problem. You reflect earlier on about how you kind of you know, might spend the morning at Arnold and Son in the afternoon at Angelus. You obviously have your own particular style and I want to try and get a feeling for what you like in watches. I mean, it might not be even what you wear, but the things that you actually like. Are you a fan of complicated movements or do you prefer like a rugged sports watch? What would we
0: find in your own collection? So for me, the first... At the first glance, you should be in love with the watch, like a car, and then comes the engine, in my opinion. Right. But of course, after you are, after that, you have different kind of brands. Some people are looking, or collectors also, they are looking for movements first, and then the shape of, of the case. But for me, first is design, but the movement and the quality of the movement should be perfectly aligned with the quality and beauty. And uh, beautifulness of uh, of the design also. That sounds like an engineer talking. <laughs> <laughs> for me, for, honestly, I remember. I, I, you you can say it or you can cut it up you, up to you. The first time I've seen a Panerai, I was in love. It. I was in love, and I, it was my first watch that I bought because it was something. Unique. It was the first time that I was seeing a, a watch like that, and I fell in love with the watch, so I, I bought it. And in my opinion, it's. A, I don't know if every, all the collectors, all the buyers have the same mental process, but it's what I have. Yeah, I, I mean, that's kind
1: of the, my experience, actually, on Panerai as well, is it was what does it look like what is the design the design is different from everything else and it's very obviously different from everything else very quickly you don't need to know anything about movements or dials or architecture or case design you can just look at it from this and go that looks a bit different and if you're into a bit different then that's then that's where you go and i think a lot of people have that story as panerai being one of their first entries into the world of watches and then they end up becoming movement geeks and then they end up with things like Arnold and Son and Angelus and appreciating just the amount of work and the amount of thought and engineering and process that goes into these things. So when it goes right, it can go very right as some of the designs have shown. But there must be one or two stories in the background of things that never made the light of day, either because... You just wanted to strangle them at birth because they were too complicated. Or just didn't look right. Because something can look well when it's designed in on a bit of paper, but when you produce it, you're like nah, that doesn't work. What are the stories of the the, the road that wasn't travelled? I do like to hear about things that could have happened but that didn't. Let
0: me think about it. <laughs> no, so for me what I'm thinking is um sometimes you think that a product will work because you just like it, but then you should and you should see also what is the potential in the market and what will be the price of the market and what should be the investment to develop this movement. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the equation is not working well, so you have to dec- so sometimes you have just to decide to or postpone because it's not the right time or to cancel the project because you know we are producing today Arnold and Son. This year we will end up with 1,000 pieces approximately. But if you let's say that you want to develop a new movement, you need to be able to to produce a certain amount of movement and watches every year for the next five to ten years, otherwise the investment it's it's too big to afford for the company so yeah. it's it's all all this calculation which it's also important, and
1: where do you see both brands now traveling the The watch world is obviously becoming a lot more mainstream. You know, you can turn on the television now in this country and see TV adverts for watches. You could listen to a podcast about Formula One or movies and people would be referencing in those podcasts what the, the watch that the actor or the actress was wearing or the watch that the Formula One driver was wearing. There's a lot more public, just general knowledge of watches beyond the usual suspects and a lot more interest. I think Covid's probably been responsible for a lot of people sitting in front of computers in their homes, very bored, trying to avoid work for a very long time. And a number of them have come across watch websites like a blog to watch and watch brands like Arnold & Son and Angelus and other things. Where do you see both of the brands traveling into the future when the world appears to be more and more interested in more and more watch brands?
0: Today Arnold in terms of volumes and turnover is certainly positioned in the top five six independent brands if i can call us as independent and i think that we can we still have rooms to grow because we're not present in every market Uh, we just entered china before COVID, so basically we have a lot of growth there and uh, we have a lot in southeast asia also we have a lot of rooms to grow we will grow slowly and uh, because we don't want to take any risk with the brand and we don't want to overload the market with with watches, which is never good. And anyway, in terms of production, today, you cannot jump from 1,000 to 2000 in a year. It's impossible. So it will take a little bit of time. But I think that we can definitely target two, three thousand watches in the next five to ten years. Wow, for Angeles, it's a different story because basically, we were producing only Turbion and we completely changed the product strategy and we are rebuilding the portfolio and uh, the collection based on the chronodate. So, what we will do now, we will go up in terms of complexity of, of movement. And certainly, Angelus also can, can produce 1,000 watches in five
1: years. I'm particularly excited by Angelus. I think Arnold Sun's a great brand, great movements, but is a very distinct type of watch. It's a very educated. It's a very complex. You need to know what you're doing. You you would need to know a bit more about watches before you you wouldn't just stumble across Arnold Son and go, "I'll have one of them." But the Chronodate in particular is just in that segment right now that i think people would stumble across it and go yeah i just really like that as opposed to the usual suspects at that kind of price level of chronograph we all know who they are must be particularly exciting to have this brand and be able to dictate what it does in its future. You're talking about a significant increase in number of watches it can produce, but it's still highly exclusive. So I just, I'm particularly excited to see what happens with Angelus, because uh, yeah, if if I was choosing a brand myself right now to, to run or to take over, I think Angelus is in a real sweet spot in terms of having access to great complications, clearly great design and a good name, good name recognition. So yeah, I'm very excited as to as to what comes next. It sounds like Watches and Wonders next year is going to be quite interesting for both brands. Is that the next time we can expect to hear releases, or is there something between now and next April on its
0: way? So I think that's a launch that we're preparing with a more more com- contemporary watch is going to be right before Watches and Wonders. Cool. And we also have a nice collapse which is going, collab which is going to pre to be presented during uh during what wonders
1: very good that's the un, as yet unreleased a blog to watch Angelus, rick on a farm uh collaboration. so uh, look <laughs> the, look for, rick look for <laughs> the the ah oh, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hi, registers website domain name just now the ripple. Data. Yes, there we go.
2: Sounds good, Bertrand, Thank you so much for taking the time, and you know I'm I'm happy that Rick asked about what is it that we can look forward to. So we certainly are, and I hope to see you and the rest of the team, of course, uh, next year at uh, well, uh, seems uh, watches and wonders Geneva. Perfect.
0: Thank you very much. My pleasure to talk with you guys, and uh, see you in, G- in Geneva. Before we go, where can we find
1: yourself Bertrand on the internet and where should we be looking for Angelus and Arnold and Son? So in other words, do you have your own Instagram account or
0: anything like that? I have my Instagram, yes. Are you willing to share that? Yeah, yeah. Bertrand Savary. It's Bertrand and my family name Savary, so nothing to hide, I'm here excellent so you can go and follow Bertrand there do you post lots of watch stuff or is it, uh just your your own day-to-day world existence i'm I'm putting both a bit of my life and a bit of uh, arnold and son and angelus watches
1: and when you're not doing watches what else do you enjoy are you a foodie or a
0: skier or mountaineer no so i'm skiing i'm playing paddle also uh, paddle tennis and uh, e-bike so
1: i don't very good. The the lazy man's exercise.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> come to visit. Tell me you going up the hills. Uh, yeah, you can come with me once. You will see if you if it's a lazy sport.
2: <laughs> yeah
1: that's not Challenge. gonna happen let me just tell that's you great. <laughs> none of the rest of the blog to watch team have seen me play sport it's not a pretty sight. love it great stuff and then you can check out the show notes for all the links to Angelus and arnold and son so thank you very much for joining us bertrand look forward to catching you soon in geneva thanks for joining us
2: thank you very much thank you bertrand
1: so that is us for another special edition. I hope you enjoyed hearing all about Angelus and Arnold and Son. I did. I think my takeaway is actually Angelus. I mean, I really like the brand beforehand, but actually just hearing his enthusiasm and clearly the enthusiasm of all those behind the scenes, it does just make me want to see one again and even more close up. And certainly at the price point that these chronographs come in at, you know, you're you're in the kind of money of many top-end brands, mm. you know, buying them on the grey market or whatever. I think what I didn't appreciate was just how limited Angelus production is. I think that makes me want one of the chronographs even more. I don't know whether it's just because you're in the industry and you see these brands about, you just kind of think they're everywhere. But actually, these Angelus watches are pretty special to begin with and even more so when you realize how few of them they make. So it will be interesting to see how the brands build on that over the coming years. And certainly it looks like there's gonna be lots to look forward to at Watches and Wonders from both of them next year. David, any takeaways for you?
2: Absolutely, I, uh, you know, this helped me reflect on all those times that I've, I've had a chance to see these beautiful watches and to visit the manufacturer, Le Jouperie, I think in 2016 or something like mm. that. Uh, it's it's interesting because you know it's not often that we hear from Arnold and Son and Angulus given their uh, limited production numbers and limited capacity to develop new uh, new models. If you look at the roadmap for a brand like IWC or Breitling, you will see that there's a new release sometimes literally every month. Uh, by mm. contrast, it's a miracle if a brand of the size of Angulus and Arnold and Son can produce two three uh, new pieces per year, and that already onto is is a huge uh, challenge onto its own. But every time, and here's the point, whenever I see sit down uh, with these brands and see their products I'm always impressed because they're just so different in the way that they are made and in the way that they are designed you can tell that this is not a committee watch it's a small team watch it's a skunkworks watch and that I've always appreciated whether we are speaking about these two brands or the few that are like these so yeah it's always great to hear from the man who is really into the whole thing and and who's directing it and hear their own specific struggles and challenges uh, which result in these brands and anyone who buys one of these watches certainly understands these and decides to support their efforts so yeah thanks again to, to Bertrand for his time and thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you on the next one
1: yeah do tune in every Thursday for the normal show and you will see these special editions we will get special editions for a limited edition the, these episodes are more valuable than all the others because of limited <laughs> edition so so do tune in to these limited edition specials from time to time thank you to everybody at Arnold and & Son and us that enabled this to happen. Have a great
2: week. Goodbye. Bye everyone.